When I was younger, I, I grew up in the church. You know, I've shared this before that I had Jesus-loving grandparents and great-grandparents and parents, and fortunate in that, fortunate to grow up in a church environment of people that love Jesus and preach the scriptures and had a healthy youth group to go to and had mentors that loved me and pointed me towards Jesus. But there came a time where uh, I started to sort of break away from that middle of high school. I've shared this before. I won moodiest. I was an angry teenager. Don't worry, teens, it gets better, I promise. But as I started to sort of walk away from sort of the ethos of my family and my church, sort of the way that we were, our character, you know, our, our sentiment, our morals, uh, I, I found myself just becoming angrier and my language changed. The way I talked about people became more hostile. There was just sort of this pent-up rage that was coming out of me, and it was not the way I had been raised. hadn't seen any of that in my family or in my church, and I was fighting for myself. I was running my mouth. Like, you would not know I was a Jesus follower. Like, it was not evident at all by my behavior. And thanks to uh, Jess, who is now my wife. She was my girlfriend then. We dated forever. We've been together for like a thousand years at this point. Um, but it feels only like a week. <laughs> Jess was like, uh, what are you doing? She's always been great. She's like, what are you doing with your life? And then there was this one day where uh, we had <laughs> we'd had a youth group meeting that ended up at McDonald's and I was outside smoking. Teenagers, I did not just give you permission to try that, okay? I'm outside smoking, and one of, my, one of my mentors comes to me and says, what are you doing? Grow up, basically. Like, is this, is this who you are? I was like, ugh. It was the first time it, like, really hit me. Like, I don't know. Is this who I am? Like, what am I doing? But I was sort of trying to form my own ethos, right? Like this own way of doing life. And, and it was not how I'd been raised and not Christ-like. And Well, today what we're going to talk about is, is sort of putting on, taking on the, the, the way of the family of God intentionally. Putting on the clothes is the analogy that Paul uses. Putting on the clothes of, of godliness, of Christ-likeness. Of, of taking on the family ethos, which, again, is the, I, I wrote out a definition here, the distinguishing character, sentiment, moral nature, or guiding beliefs of a person, group, or institution, right? Like how we do things, right? And so we're going to look today at Colossians 3 about how Paul says we do things as Jesus followers, as the family of God, as this new people of God birthed out of the resurrection and now living in uh, as new creation people. And so Really, what I'm trying to help us understand is that as a new family of God, we have a new family ethos. There's new clothing that we put on. There's a new way that we act towards God, towards the world, towards one another. There's these guiding beliefs and morals and behaviors that start to come out of us if we really are disciples of Jesus, if we really are part of the family of God. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn to Colossians 3. If you want to do a cross-reference this week, 
Read Ephesians 4 and 5. It's a much longer version of what Paul is saying here, basically the same exact stuff. But Colossians 3, Paul makes this, this case, moving from the ways of the world to the ways of the family of God. All right? So this is what he says. So if you have been raised with Christ, okay, Easter, resurrection, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's finished. The work is done. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your minds on things above. The word there, when it, it's, it's an interesting translation. When it says set your minds, really what he's talking about there is like your gut, your heart center. Just everything that you are, he's saying, set your, yourself on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, like symbolically, right? You died with Jesus and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Paul says in other places that when we see Jesus, we will be transformed, that we will become like him in an instant, in all his glory. So he says, in light of this, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, uh, evil desire, and greed. It's interesting that the, the greed is really like like passionately wanting more and more, uh, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. The word there, put on, means like, like literally like you're taking off old clothes and you're putting on new clothes. That's what's wrapped up in that word. Uh, in in uh, verse 10, and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. God's renewing our minds, Paul says. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, uh, circumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So he's saying, we've moved from the old self to the new self, and it's all about Jesus. He's what counts. Not any of this other identity stuff. It's Jesus that is everything, all in all. He says, again, therefore, it's like Paul's favorite word, therefore, he's always building a case. In light of what I just said, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, Put on, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another, which we will, right? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through, uh, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So the sum total of what Paul is saying there is when you weren't in God's family, you lived like this. Now that you are in God's family, you get to live like this. So what he's starting with here, what he starts with to sort of make the, help us make this argument is that he's saying you have a new identity, which is what we talked about in week one, right? About we've been adopted into the family of God because of the resurrection, because of the cross, Jesus has purchased for us the family of God, the, the, like the welcoming into the family of God. He's saying you have a new identity, and Paul is, is doubling down on this, saying, man, you, you have a new identity. You've been chosen, right? He's saying that right there in the beginning. You have been chosen. It is not by accident that you're here this morning. It's not by accident that God called you. It's not by accident that God's calling you in this moment saying, come into my family, give up that old way, come live in my family. Fully intentional. God's plan is to rescue humanity out of sin and death. It's what he wants for you, it's what he wants for me, it's what he wants for the world. We have been chosen And then he says, you are holy. Now, we hear that word, and we often think, like, I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm good. That's certainly in that word. But also what that word means is that you've been set apart. That's really, in the Old Testament sense of that word, holy, it's like you are sacred. You are set apart. You are supposed to be a different kind of people, a people who are partnering with God to live for his mission, his glory of making him known out to the world. So he chooses us, puts holiness upon us, sets us apart and says, you're now partnering with me in this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing my glory out to the world. And why does he do it? Because you're dearly loved. Because God loves you. Because God loves you. Because God loves you. Like, that's it. That's the foundation. God is love. And in his love, he says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. I want you in my family. He wants you as his child, partnering with him for your good and for his glory in the world. And so Paul's reminding these Colossian believers, he's reminding us today that, man, you're not in that earthly way anymore. You're not living in that darkened way anymore. You've been chosen out of that, moved into the light of the Father, the love of the Father, the holiness of Jesus to partner with him to make his glory known to the world for your good and for his sake. And so what happens is, here's, here's the teaching that you need to understand. When you embrace this, when you focus on this, When you understand this, when you dwell on this idea that God loves you and wants you in his family, and that you've been given a new identity, behavior starts to flow out of that. See, often, maybe you've been in these environments where you go to church and somebody says, you better behave like this. You're Christians, you better act like this. And it becomes this law, and you try to like drum up all this energy to do it. And what Paul's saying is, no, 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 no. Focus your affections on God who has given you a new identity as adopted sons and daughters, that starts to energize us to want to do those things for the Father, as opposed to trying to like browbeat ourselves into it through legalism. He says this new identity, when we focus on it, it it energizes us. When we believe that God loves us and is for us, and we understand that we are sons and daughters of God, behavior is then energized to flow out of that. As opposed to just preaching to behavior, saying change your behaviors. It's like, man, you got to understand the beliefs first. 
got to grasp hold of that first, the love of the Father for us that then changes our identity and leads to behavior. Does that make sense? Because everything you do, everything I do is rooted in a core belief somewhere. Like we think it's advantageous for us to be angry and lash out. Somewhere deep down inside of us, we think I need to fight for myself, so now I'm going to be angry and express it. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. If you believe down at the core that Jesus is on the throne, you realize I don't need to fight as hard for myself. It's okay. I can calm down because I'm a son or daughter of God. Oh, then gentleness starts to come out. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. You can see where I'm going with this talk. Like, this is what it means to believe, to have our identity changed, to then have behavior flow out of that. So our response to this identity, to this adoption that has been given to us, is to then put on the clothes that have been purchased for us, to put on this new self, to slowly work on transforming out that old self and living more and more into the new self, of taking on the clothes of Jesus, the new family ethos, as it were. We talked about this a little bit last week, that, that, that there's this, this family of origin that we all come from, that has its own baggage and has own, its own junk in it that's just terrible. And there's things in that that we need to leave. But we cleave to Jesus. It's this marriage analogy, right? That we leave this family of origin to cleave to the family of God. And in this context today, what Paul is saying in Colossians 3 is that, yes, there's something you're leaving, and then there's something that you are cleaving to. There's this new thing that you are moving towards. And here's the deal with Paul. He's clearly calling for a willful engagement of the heart, of the mind, of the soul, of the body, of the spirit. He's calling us to like willfully participate in the putting on of the new clothes. Paul is a good Pharisee, right? He's got a Jewish background in the law. He understands like the sacredness of God's people, of the purity laws, of the civic laws. He understands what it looks like to be holier than now, right? And so he understands that, man, to be chosen as God's people is a big deal, and he's saying, now live into it. It's no small thing that you've been purchased into the family of God. Now willfully participate in putting on the clothes of righteousness, of putting on the ethos of this new family. It means Jesus is Lord, now go and live like it. You've been brought into this family in the light, now go and live like it. Look at me at Ephesians 4. He expounds some of the things that he's been saying in Colossians here as well. Uh, Verse 17 of Ephesians 4. He says, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. All right? Let's just pause there for a second. They're living in the futility of their thoughts. Their minds are futile in the way they are working. All right? So just sort of Keep that there for a second. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. There's this connection, Paul is saying, between futile thinking that leads to shady, broken behavior that is connected to the hardness of hearts. It all works together. Hardness of heart leads to futile thinking, leads to poor behavior. He says, these people, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. There's that greed, right? That covetousness for more and more. He says, but that's not how you came to know Christ. 
Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, what were you taught? To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, right? And to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. He's saying, but not so with you, Jesus followers. He says, you, you know that Jesus taught you the truth and you know that he's called you into this new life and now you're willing, willingly participating in putting on the clothes of righteousness, of becoming more like Jesus. He says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he goes on to say, hey, be imitators of God as his dearly loved children. Meaning we're looking to God saying, I want to be like him. I want to take on the clothes that he has purchased for me, this robe of, of righteousness, of goodness, of full life, of peace, of joy, of gentleness. I want to put that on. It has been purchased for me, and now I want it. When, when I was in high school, a lot of high school stories today. When, when I was in high school, I lived through the, like, the first and better vintage era, okay? The grunge era, I'm not going to name names, but I saw someone earlier this week wearing clothes that I was like, I wore those and they were old then. Like, like it, it's just, the, the time frame between stuff as it comes back around is getting shorter and shorter. Have you noticed this? When I was in high school, it was like, you know, up until probably ninth grade, I was wearing like Boscovs. Maybe Gap if I was lucky. Maybe. Abercrombie was getting big. I had money for that. And then, God bless Kurt Cobain. Pearl Jam, in my top 10 playlist. Again, things you don't need to know. I'm sorry. Teenagers, ignore all of this. But grunge comes on the scene, and I'm like, man, where can I get some of these vintage clothes? Started going to thrift stores. This is before Target was selling vintage-looking stuff, okay? Like, you had to go find it for real, all right? I went and found these T-shirts, which were phenomenal, and I, I got to go into my dad's closet and be like, oh, man. There's some good stuff in here. I'm wearing old flannel shirts with pearl buttons. Ooh, they were hot. They were the best. I mean, like, that was like the vintage thing that I could find, man. It was so good. But I'm taking these clothes, and I didn't really fit in them. They were too big for me. It was great back then for girls and boys, right? Clothes could be huge. It didn't matter. It was wonderful. Putting on this big flannel. It's my dad's clothes, right? I'm putting it on, and there's something symbolically beautiful about that now as I get older and see my kids putting on my clothes. Like, are my clothes old? I don't know. But I'm putting on my dad's clothes. I'm making a decision to no longer wear those other things. The Boscovs, the Gap, the Abercrombie. I'm saying, I want this other thing. I'm going to willfully not wear that anymore, and I'm going to take this on, and I'm going to put it on, and I'm going to live into it. I'm going to become this, this thing, right? As vain as all of that clothing was. See, walking in Jesus is both a received thing, something that is purchased for us and we get it, great, justified, pure in God's eyes, fantastic, but then participatory. We put it on. We willfully say, I want that and I'm going to wear that. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, continually growing more and more like him, saying, I'm now going to let him into this part of my life. I'm going to take on the clothing in that part of life. And you become more and more Christ-like, not because you have to, because we get to, all right? 
That's what the gospel means. We don't have to do it, but we get to. So what does the new clothing look like, right? Paul goes through this whole list. Let's just, let's just break some of these down again. Look at Colossians 3.12. Let's look at some of these, these character traits of the ethos of the family of God. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, these, these hearts of compassion, meaning having, having mercy for people around us, mercy for those in difficulty that comes from this deep place in our gut. That's, that's wrapped up in this word. So now you see Paul saying, passion for this other thing now. Passion for the weak and broken people around you. Compassion for the people who are hurting around you. And so an identity in the world would say, well, I just want to live for myself. I know I'm hurting or whatever, so I'm only going to care for myself. As an identity in God, as God's child, we say, well, what does it mean for me to have a heart for others? How do I genuinely care for the people around me who are hurting and broken in need in the church and outside of the church? What do I believe at my core about who I am and who other people are in Jesus, and then how do I act accordingly? How do I become compassionate towards the world around me? He says, put on compassion, put on kindness, Kindness here means like this, this goodness that is bent towards serving others, like useful to meet real needs, seeing what's going on in the world and saying, I can meet that need, I will serve that need, I will care for that person in that place and do that thing for them. Again, in the world, I would say, well, I'm all about me. I need to get mine. But as a child of God, we say, God is on the throne. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his, and I'm in him. Therefore, I can serve the people around me. I can be kind towards the people around me. I can willfully look for ways that I can bless people around me because I have everything in Jesus. I don't need to just think about myself. I can think about others. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. We know what the word humble means, right? It's, it's this, in this case, it's this, this humbleness of mind, having a modest opinion of self that allows me to then value others. Boy, does our world need that. To not think so highly of ourselves all the time and think a little bit more highly of the people around us. Wouldn't that change some things? As a child of the world, it's all about my ego, all about my self-esteem, I think so highly of myself. I am so significant and special. I am so unique that we look down on other people. And Paul's saying, no, no, in Jesus, he's all in all. You're in him. He's in you. We're all equal. Therefore, you can start to build other people up. Humility is a modest view of self and raising up other people into the image of Jesus. It values all of humanity. Or he says, put on gentleness. Gentleness. This, this, there's a great kind of word picture here. It's connected to the idea of meekness, of like a horse that is powerful, yet under control. Does that image make sense? This horse that rather than just bucking around doing whatever it wants and going crazy, it's saying, I've come under the control of the master. I'm going to limit. I'm going to limit my power, and I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to come under the control of Jesus for the sake of the world around me for the sake of God's glory becoming useful for his kingdom. And as opposed to the child of the world that says, man, 
I better care for my own plans. I better care for my own desires. I'm going to use my power to make myself significant. This says, man, in Jesus, he has all the power. I'm in him. I can be humble and come under him and be guided by him to be gentle towards the world around me. I don't need to exert my control, my force, my authority on the world around me. God's in control. I can be gentle under his leadership. Or finally, he wraps up with this section with patience. He's saying, put on patience. And again, yes, patience means like not lashing out when something isn't going our way or patient in the long line at the grocery store, or, you know, in a, I don't know, if you don't have easy pass, I don't know, you're stuck in a toll lane. I don't know, whatever it is. So we understand that version of patience. But what he means here is this idea of like, like long-suffering, enduring patience. Like it goes on and on and on and on, slowly just waiting to see the redemption of God take place in something or someone, enduring this personal pain even for the greater good that's at stake. So often in the world, it's again, it's like, what's in it for me? It's not good, I'm out. This, this marriage doesn't make me feel good anymore, I'm out. This person's frustrating me, I'm done with them. But I'm just gonna trash them on Facebook real quick before we go. Raising kids, relationships, jobs, church, bearing with one another in church for the long haul, saying, these are my people, I'm committed, I'm in. This is what it means to be patiently enduring. The child of the world says, what's in it for me? I'm out if I don't like it. And Jesus' follower says, hold on. Can God empower me to be in this for the long haul? Now granted, listen, I'm not saying we don't have boundaries. I've talked about that in before. I'm not saying there's not times when it's right to leave, okay? Just please hear me about that. But by and large, endurance and perseverance are not an American trade anymore. And they're missing in the church. And Paul's saying we are patient people, enduring people, because Jesus is on the throne, and it's all going to work out for our good and for his glory, so we can endure with the world around us. And so what he says is when we take these things on, when we willfully participate in these things and take on the clothing of Christ, it changes in how we treat people around us, right? Go on to that next verse in 13. He says when we do these things, we then bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, bearing with one another means like more than simply just tolerating people, like grin and bear it, it means more than that. It means actually helping like take up the burdens that they're carrying. Saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you in, intentionally and carry this thing that you are struggling with, even at a cost to us. Again, this is connected to that patiently enduring, like seeing it through to the end. Patiently enduring, walking with people, bearing with them in the midst of great pain, bearing with them in their struggles, bearing with them in their, 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 their temptations, their struggle with sin, saying, let me walk with you in this. And then he says, and forgiving one another. This is a, a command to forgive as the Lord forgave us. Let me just ask a question. 
How many of you feel like you've been forgiven by Jesus? Oh, well, okay, good. In a church, a couple people, all right, great. All of us have, all right. How many of you have been forgiven by Jesus like today already? Thank you, thank you, right? Like a lot in our lives, right? We've been forgiven in totality, and we will be forgiven again and again and again and again and again. And Paul's saying, yeah, so in the way that you've been forgiven by Jesus, do that for others. This is why Jesus is like, uh, how many times should we forgive people? He's like, I don't know, like 70 times 7? A lot, right? A lot in the way that God has forgiven you. Go and forgive others. That is all-encompassing. The forgiven forgive. Now, granted, there are legit grievances, They need to be talked about. They need to be worked through. Sometimes people are wrong in the way that they've treated you, and they need to be called out on it. Church does that too. But all of it through this lens of kindness and gentleness and patience, humility. So he wraps that up by then saying in verse 14, above all, put on love, clothe yourselves in love, which is the perfect bond of Unity, put on love. Like, this is the simple summary. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Like, put on love. God is love. Take on this gift from God. When we do these things, we are loving people. We're loving God. We're loving others. So can I just say that I don't think the world, particularly in the West anymore, has any idea what love means. Love means really trying to make it work. Love means like really committing to endure pain with someone. It means really trying to be gentle rather than using our power to hurt people. It means being humble and saying, it's not just about my way, it's about our way. Like it's a totally different ethos than the world's idea of love. So Paul's saying, coat everything in that, clothe everything in that, in the love of the Father, in the way that he has loved you. God is love. Now go and love others as well. So here's the question. If it's not legalism, saying just force myself to do it, if it's not just like by my own willpower that it's going to happen because it's not, if you've tried for any length of time, you know, where does it, how does it happen? We'll go back to the beginning of chapter 3. Look what Paul says. Wrap up with this. So, therefore, right, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Seek the things above. Set your mind, set your gut, set your your spirit, your soul, your heart, set your affections on things above, he's saying. Then you can put to death the things of the flesh. Then you can live into the clothing that we're supposed to be wearing in Jesus. When... uh, when our kids were little, they're still short, but when they were little, uh, sorry guys, when, when they were little, we went to New York City. 
which if you are taking kids to the city, it's an interesting experience, especially when they're little. And you're like, no, don't go over there. Don't lick that. Don't touch that. Don't. But we're like, it's going to be fun. We're going to do some fun things. One of the things we wanted to do was go to the Empire State Building. I don't like heights. Not my thing. But I thought, it's worth it. It's going to be beautiful. So we have this picture. Uh, it's sort of my senior moment for Abby here. Oh, my gosh. Come on. Come on. What a kid. You can see we've gone all the way up the thousand floors, it seemed like, and uh, looking out over the city. You can go to the next picture and kind of see the, the, the background of, of looking out over the city. Just beautiful, right? Not just Abbey, but the, the view. I had to convince myself that it was worth it. I had to think about the view from up there. I had to think about what it was going to be like. I had to set my mind on things above, literally, and decide it's worth it to get in this elevator that I feel like is just going to careen to the bottom of this building and we're going to end up in a heap. Like, I had to tell myself that it was worth it to get this experience. I had to think about something better that made the journey worth it. And what Paul is saying here at the beginning of chapter 3 is set your mind on things above. Give your life and your affections towards the things of heaven, the things of Jesus, the things of the Father. Focus on what's above. Well, to me, there's no better thing to set our affections on than Jesus himself and what he has done for us. His love for us, that, that he has lived these things out that he is the compassionate one towards us. That he is the one who is gentle and meek towards us and could have used his power to crush us, but instead used it to serve us, bringing us into the Father's family. Jesus, who is always patient. Jesus, who is always loving. Jesus, who is always forgiving and merciful towards us, meeting us in our time of need, walking with us, and helping us persevere and endure. Paul is calling us to be like Jesus. The way that we do that is by focusing on Jesus and what he has done for us. And it changes our hearts. It changes what we want. It changes us, which then changes the way we think. So here's what it means in my life to defeat sin. It means thinking, why would I choose that when I know that Jesus who has done these things for me has called me to this? This must be better. My human flesh wants to believe that being impatient will pay off. But Jesus was patient with me. And he says, no, 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 I'm calling you to patience. He loved me so much. He's so good. He's so trustworthy. I, I, I should probably say, yeah, he wants better for me, so I will choose that. I will choose being patient and gentle instead. Do you see how that focusing your affections on Jesus starts to energize you and give you the mindset, a clear mind to say, I want to choose that? doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's not a battle to fight temptation. But it's not legalism that's motivating us. That doesn't fix anything. It's the energy that God gives us because we're in love with Jesus and what he has done for us. Change our affections, change our beliefs, root our identity in him, then the behavior follows. And so what we're going to look at next week is what it means to build healthy rhythms as a community of people who are all calling each other 
into these affections for Jesus through the way we order our lives. So let me ask you a question. In your life, can you imagine what Jesus wants for you? Have you ever thought about that? What does Jesus want for me? Like, what does full life look, for, look like for me? What, what does he want? He says he promises me full life. He's purchased it for me. What does that look like? What does it look like to live a life clothed in him, clothed in his goodness, in his gentleness, in his patience? How would that actually be full life as opposed to living in the darkened ways of our flesh? And can you see what he has purchased for you? Can you focus your affections there in the coming days through prayer, through scripture, through fasting, through silence, through solitude, through singing, through community, whatever it is? Can you focus your affections on him to allow your mind to be changed so that your identity is rooted in him so the behaviors then follow out of that, the putting on of the clothing of Christ? And here's the thing, friends. Here's the gospel. As children in the family of God, we don't have to do this. You don't have to, but you get to. This is the truth of the gospel. We don't have to live out the ethos of the family of God but we get to, and it's full life in Christ. Let's pray.